Principle seven, live your values even when no one is looking. The invisible hand. If history has taught us anything, it is that humans have a seemingly unlimited capacity for self-rationalization and self-delusion. Believing that the end justifies the means, any of us can get caught up and become convinced that cutting corners is the only way to move forward. So how do we make sure we don't become one of those many entrepreneurs who have done this? In 1776, Adam Smith published his magnum opus, An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations, better known as Wealth of Nations. The Scotsman collected data for 17 years, and among other things, he claimed that free trade among the members of a society inevitably leads to an outcome that is good for the society as a whole. Even though each individual pursues his own selfish gain, it can still lead to an outcome that is good for society as a whole. He noted, It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interests. We address ourselves not to their humanity, but to their self-love. In other words, our own self-preservation is key to the success of our economy. Smith is credited with creating the term the invisible hand, the metaphor for the unforeseen forces in the free market economy, even though it only appears one time in the book's nearly 1,000 pages. The invisible hand metaphor contains two critical ideas that voluntary trades in a free market produce unintended benefits and that these benefits are greater than those of a regulated economy. You don't need to look beyond the laissez-faire approach that the United States has taken to see the benefits of the invisible hand. We have several hundred years of empirical evidence to prove one of the greatest economic theories humans have ever conceived. Over 200 years later, in 1985, in Habits of the Heart, individualism, and commitment in American life, Robert Bella examined the values of several hundred Americans. He coined the term ontological individualism. That is, the self is the only real thing that matters in the world. Bella concluded that for Americans in the 1980s, individualism reigned supreme. Whether in business, marriage, or church, the personal needs became the main goal, just as Smith had prescribed. You don't have to look beyond Billy McFarland, Elizabeth Holmes, Enron, Bernie Madoff, Lehman Brothers, Worldcom, Tyco, or Gordon Gecko to know that too much greed can bring ruin to both a business and a reputation. None of us, nor our industries, are immune to this potential fate. It takes decades to build a good reputation and minutes to lose it. Most leaders would say, oh, those people aren't like me. Those people are criminals intent on defrauding their investors. I don't have the capacity to do that. But there are two problems with that train of thought. The first is what I stated above. Humans have a seemingly unlimited capacity for self-rationalization and self-delusion. Believing that the end justifies the means, any of us can get caught up and convinced that cutting corners is the only way to move forward. And the second is that the pressure to perform in business is often greater than the ability to stop and think about the long-term effects of our choices, particularly when individualism is the chief aim of society. When Adam Smith wrote about the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker, 
that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interests, he was absolutely right. But in 1776, the butcher, the brewer, and the baker all lived in the same small village. And if the baker went to the butcher and purchased a pound of meat only to get home to find out that he had received three quarters of a pound because the butcher had fixed his scales, not to their humanity, but to their self-love, you better believe that the next time the baker saw the butcher, words and perhaps fists would be exchanged. In 1776, Adam Smith couldn't have imagined in the not-too-distant future a new technology called the Internet would arrive. This technology would allow people to do business with others all over the world, far beyond their small village. Because of this technology, global and local economies would grow exponentially. The proverbial pie would be made larger and growth would be everywhere, proving Smith's theories correct. Up to a point. With the pressure to perform so high and our capacity for corruption so great, how do we stay ethical when we may never have to look into the eyes of the person doing business with us? With the internet in place, Gone is the fear of running into the victim of your fraud on one of the few streets in the village. This physical separation in business now allows humans to act not to their humanity, but to their self-love without ever having to confront the person on the other end of the exchange. Here, we have a power imbalance. As good entrepreneurs, we have the responsibility to understand these differences, build our companies accordingly, and hold other business leaders accountable. Business is never less than profits, no margin, no mission, but it should be so much more than profits. The stakeholders of any business, the employees, the investors, the customers, the vendors, and the community in which they operate are all affected by the way a business handles itself. And any leader in that business has the ability to multiply the impact they have through every decision they make, both positively and negatively. When my dad was in prison, Angel Tree volunteers would show up with gifts at my home on Christmas morning so that we could have presents to open up. Why did they give their resources to us? For that matter, why does anyone do something that benefits someone else? Why does an organization like Convoy of Hope consistently show up to help when natural disasters occur? What are they working towards? What is it that caused William Wilberforce to stand up against slavery in 1787 and fight for 50 years to get laws passed to abolish it in England? What is it that makes us otherwise selfish beings choose to do good? I think the answer lies in our values. When we know what we value, we act out of that. And when good entrepreneurs know what they value, they build their businesses out of that. We are never more dangerous than in our own self-righteousness. This is why the Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn was right when he wrote from the Gulag, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, either, but right through every human heart. Even the most rational approach to business ethics is defenseless if there isn't the will to do what is right. As a good entrepreneur, you no longer have the option to not have an opinion on these issues. Your stakeholders, your clients, your coworkers, your customers, your investors, your community, your vendors... They're all looking to you to see what you value and how your business will reflect that. And believe it or not, you have everything you need to make the decisions for yourself and your business if you know what to value. Stakeholders. One of my board members invited me to join him at a CEO summit put on by Conscious Capitalism. I showed up not knowing what to expect and found myself taking 25 pages worth of notes over the course of three days. I was blown away by what the speakers were saying. 
The idea behind conscious capitalism is best described by R. Edwin Friedman when he says, we need red blood cells to live the same way a business needs profits to live. But the purpose of life is more than to make red blood cells the same way the purpose of business is more than simply to generate profits. The weekend helped me see that recognizing and valuing everyone who is affected by your business is essential to the success of the good entrepreneur. Providing a paycheck to your employees puts food in their and their dependents' mouths and shelter over their heads, literally providing the first two levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Knowing that makes being able to pay someone else one of the highest honors for an entrepreneur. It can also make it one of the most gut-wrenching experiences. It makes the stakes higher for any leader. Knowing you have to find a way to make payroll happen when you don't have the money is a difficult challenge that I think almost every entrepreneur will face. But when you've created a company that values its employees and the people in their lives, you learn to rise to the occasion and figure it out. Beyond employees, providing for the other stakeholders is key to any successful business. By providing a return to your investors, they will be more enthusiastic to provide capital the next time you ask. By paying vendors fairly and on time, you will help their businesses thrive so they can continue to grow. By actively participating in the communities in which you operate, you're investing in their long-term success and ensuring that those not directly involved with your business still benefit from your success. Finally, by providing a product that customers receive value from and want to buy more of, you're creating consistent and long-term revenue that powers the entire organization. Simply put, when the five stakeholders, employees, customers, investors, partners, and communities are all properly aligned, it is almost impossible to not be successful as a business, both financially and beyond. If this process seems too Pollyanna-ish for you, you should know that it is a system that has been in place at some of the most beloved companies in America, such as Costco, the Container Store, Whole Foods, Southwest Airlines, Alphabet, Starbucks, and many more. These companies are providing higher financial returns while proving that is not their only purpose. In fact, in a study of 18 publicly traded conscious capitalist organizations, these companies outperform the S&P 500 by 10.5 times. Values, Vision, and Purpose I walked out of that weekend a changed entrepreneur. From there, I immediately began to sketch out the culture that I wanted to create at Rise by defining our purpose, vision, and values. When I started Rise, I had plans to run it for many decades to come. As such, I was hopeful that I would have employees who would be along with me for the full ride and even beyond. However, I knew from previous experience that one of the hardest things about starting a business is knowing that the people who start with you will often not be the ones who end with you. Why do I say all of this? To remind you and me that good entrepreneurs value their employees by investing in them. Employees spend more waking hours at work than they do almost anywhere else. Imagine if the culture you created welcomed them, got to know them, and helped them become a better version of themselves. Instead of walking into an environment where they felt threatened and triggered, shrinking under the pressure, unable to grow in their role in life, they'd walk into an environment that nurtured, challenged, and helped them thrive. As good entrepreneurs, you have the potential to create an environment that does just that. I had been burned in the past by enough bosses who had only cared about their self-love, and I wanted to be different. So I wrote down that the purpose of Rise was to take care of its employees. Now, this didn't mean that they got a free ride, nor did it mean that we were the best employer ever. But it did mean that we worked every day to build long-term success so that our stakeholders would want to reward us. And we could in turn continue our conscious commitment to thinking beyond profits and taking care of our people. 
Because when you value taking care of your employees, the profits will take care of themselves. Next, I took out a pen and wrote our vision to give our members the most valuable commodity in the world, time. Yes, we were providing access to private planes. Nearly 75% of our members had never flown private before. But I knew that wow factor would wear off with enough use. We would need staying power if we wanted decades of success. This vision gave us that. Everything we did was about giving time back to our members and valuing this vision paid off in spades. We all knew what was most important to the company and we all valued it in everything we did. We didn't want to waste our members' time. I demanded that our technology be able to book a flight in less than 10 seconds. Phones were to be answered within two rings. Cars were waiting plainside, and the coffee bar was to be accessible on the way out the door to the plane. In short, everything we did was about saving time because that was what we valued for our members. Every time a member flew on Rise, we aimed to give them three hours back in their day. We saved our members an hour and a half on the front end between parking, checking in, waiting in line, going through TSA, boarding the plane, collecting their bags, picking up their rental car, and more. And then we saved them an hour and a half on the back end between dropping off the rental car and once again, checking their bags, going through TSA and waiting to board only to get crammed in like a herd of cattle. And because of that, we aim to give our members a 10 times better experience than flying commercial at a 10th the cost of chartering or owning their own plane. All of those may seem like minute details of the business, but to us, they were so much more. These actions were born out of the purpose and vision that we valued. In the book, Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action, Simon Sinek writes, very few people or companies can clearly articulate why they do what they do. By why, I mean your purpose, cause, or belief. Why does your company exist? Why do you get out of bed every morning? And why should anyone care? We now had our why. We existed to take care of our employees so they could give time back to our members. I had an idea of what our values should be, but I knew that if I came up with them in a vacuum, they would not be owned by the rest of the team. So we gathered together and had a discussion about what we wanted our values to be. We discussed how our values ultimately determined our culture. So the question we were really addressing was what type of environment we could create that would make them so proud that they would want to recruit their friends to come work for us. We wrote down every value that the team liked and discussed why they thought that was important. Then we grouped the values into categories, finally coming up with the values that we wanted. The following became the values that created the culture of Rise. First, love. We believe in demonstrating love in all that we do through respect and selflessness. Second, selfless leadership. We're givers. People who are too me-centered do not fit at Rise. Excellence. We do great things with the gifts that have been given to us. Courage. It is not always comfortable being courageous, but it is vital to the success of Rise. Integrity. Be honest in all things. Do what you say, even though it may cost you. And finally, last but certainly not least, fun. By refusing to take ourselves too seriously, we are more energized and driven. The future is bright. Being that we were a startup and hadn't yet seen the success that I knew was to come, we had to make decisions based on reality, not dreams. As such, we hired mainly millennials to be forward-facing to our members because they were fresh out of college and their salary expectations were within my budget. I was warned time and time again about how this generation would not make good employees and that we were going to suffer the consequences. And to be honest, I even believed it. 
which is why here I must say this. Dear millennials, I was wrong about you. Please forgive me. The word millennial elicits a response within most of us these days. This generation, defined as anyone born between 1980 and 1995, was raised by doting baby boomers who told them constantly how special they were. They have a room full of participation trophies and are often known for being hard to manage. They are also redefining the work world in real time, and I think it's for the better. Given that millennials make up the majority of the workers in the United States, I think we should all be optimistic about our future. New businesses, new technologies, and new ideas are sprouting up from a generation that isn't deterred by the word no. These young people reject institutional rules with righteous indignation. As a result, financial and social goals are becoming linked. The line is becoming blurred more and more every day. Today's young, socially motivated generation doesn't respect the walls between government, nonprofits, and business. In fact, they ask why the walls exist at all. Working side by side with this generation at Rise, my perception changed and my eyes were open to their potential. Now I describe millennials as determined, transparent, and authentic. We are here to help. That year at the Conscious Capitalism CEO Summit in Austin, Texas, I had the opportunity to hear Kristen Hadid speak. She's a force to be reckoned with, a dynamic speaker and a successful entrepreneur with seemingly interminable energy. Kristen is the founder of StudentMade, a cleaning service dedicated to empowering the rising generation of leaders and the author of the book, Permission to Screw Up. She started her talk with a question, how do you get millennials to clean toilets? She then proceeded to tell a story about how she built a business that is making money based on having a helper's heart. She wanted a pair of jeans, and as a poor college student, she didn't have the money to buy them. She appealed to her parents who wouldn't give her the money, and they told her to get a job. She needed something flexible that would work around her demanding schedule, something that would allow her to be her own boss. So Kristen put an ad on Craigslist to clean houses. One house turned to two, and two houses turned to three, and soon she found herself needing So she did what any entrepreneur would do. She hired other students to help. I found that our clients grew attached to our students. We were being invited to Thanksgiving dinners and being asked to house sit and pet sit. They trusted us. So we decided to offer it all. Whether it's cleaning, organizing, dog walking, or another chore needing attention, our theme was, we are here to help. We are here to help a concept that is lost in a narcissistic society but embraced by an entire generation seeking authenticity. I spent a lot of time thinking about how to grow a culture that is meaningful, challenging, and fulfilling to this generation. I instituted a weekly all-hands meeting so we could discuss situations that had arisen over the previous week in which we had the opportunity to make decisions based on the rise, values, vision, and purpose. These ideals were much more than trite slogans to put up on our walls and later be ignored. They were the keys to our success and the differentiators that ensured our success. And I focused on reinforcing them during these meetings. Brene Brown says, if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. We would end those Monday meetings with an opportunity to be transparent and empathetic with the rest of the company. Tell Nick something he doesn't want to know is a game we often played. Why? Because it proved that we all make bad decisions. It built trust. 
It provided a great opportunity for us to build community, but more importantly, it allowed us to give immediate feedback. We were separating shame from guilt. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I did something bad. Guilt is, I am sorry I made that bad choice. Shame is, I am sorry I am bad. Two drastically different thoughts. One of the worst confessions I received was from one of our millennial employees. They shared that they had returned a brand new Mercedes-Benz to Hertz rental car, only realizing their poor decision when our member landed and had no car to drive home. I use these opportunities to repeat another value over and over. The goal is not to be perfect. The goal is to be a 1% better version of yourself tomorrow than you were today. Ingest and learn from your decisions. Share them liberally so that your colleagues won't have the same consequences. And we can all look forward to be better versions of ourselves. We sometimes make bad decisions. We are not bad decisions. We remove secrecy, silence, and judgment, and we thrived. I am pleasantly surprised to tell you that most aspects of the millennial stereotype are not consistent with my experience. I have found the opposite of what I expected in my preconceived ignorance. Even when these employees made poor decisions, they quickly owned it and made it right. This is our future, and our future is bright. Why? Because millennials force us to live our values. They are good entrepreneurs in the making. They are going to better this world, and I'm glad I'm here to witness it. 100 years from now. In his book, The Good Ancestor, How to Think Long-Term in a Short-Term World, the philosopher Roman Karznak advises, at the very least, when you aim to think long-term, take a deep breath and think a hundred years and more. This is a good litmus test for whatever it is you're working on. 100 years from now, will anyone be talking about the work you have done, the influence you had, the character that sets you apart? Defining and living by your values will help ensure that a hundred years from now, someone somewhere will remember you not just for what you did, but how you lived. As an example, Karzenak discusses Jonas Salk, who cured polio in 1953, saving millions of lives. But he refused to patent his cure or make money from it. We live in a world in which we focus on the next quarter, next election, or timing of markets, hardly ever considering if we will have influence after we are gone. Karznak concludes, We rarely stop to consider whether we are being good ancestors, but the future depends on it. The future depends on it. As you continue on your own path toward becoming a good entrepreneur, you have two choices. You can either sit back, wait for the challenges to arise, and then decide how to deal with them, or you can set out laser-focused on your values, vision, and purpose from the very beginning. Knowing what you want and value from the start is a lot easier than trying to figure it out or make it up as you go. So if you have determined what you value in your life, in your work, or your organizations, write it down. Disseminate it and bring it into your daily routine. Start living it out. Remember that in marketing, it is said that it takes the average person around seven times to hear something before they truly remember it. Talk about your values. Make them a regular part of the conversation with your team, your family, your coworkers, or whoever is in your sphere of influence. Make them something people will remember. And if you haven't yet defined what it is you value, there is no time like the present. Carve out some quiet time by yourself. Read the obituary that you created. Remember the people who influenced you. Recall the stories of leaders and organizations that made you proud. 
and start to create your own framework to live by. Be intentional about this process. Don't wait for an opportunity to react. Creating this framework in your business and personal life will do wonders to move your life from chaos to order. It will give you your own values to live by as a good entrepreneur as you continue on your journey. Okay, end of chapter homework. Create or review your purpose, vision, and value statements. What is a purpose statement? An effective purpose statement expresses the desired state in an inspirational way, representing the long view and the ideal outcome. It is not complicated, and its purpose is to create inspiration and to define the path to success for the employees. Examples from different businesses. Exist to take care of its employees. Rise. The American Cancer Society's mission is to save lives, celebrate lives, and lead the fight for a world without cancer. That's the American Cancer Society. Empower people through great software anytime, anyplace, and on any device. That's Microsoft. Here's a real simple one. To make people happy. That's Disney. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. There's an asterisk by athlete. And the asterisk says, if you have a body, you are an athlete. That's Nike. What is your vision statement? A vision statement clarifies why the organization exists and how it is unique. It embodies its values and goals. It answers, what do we do? Purpose, to define an organization's reason for existence, beliefs, and approach in a way that motivates alignment throughout the organization. It is more action-based than a vision statement so that employees can easily internalize it on a daily basis. Examples include, To give our members the most valuable commodity in the world. Time. That was rise. To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. That's Tesla. Spread ideas. TED. We aim to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. Our mission is to continually raise the bar of customer experience by using the internet and technology to help consumers find, discover, and buy anything and empower businesses and content creators to maximize their success. Amazon. Our mission is to make Target the preferred shopping destination for our guests by delivering outstanding value, continuous innovation, and an exceptional guest experience by consistently fulfilling our expect more, pay less brand promise. That's Target. What is your mission statement? And then finally, what are your values? Values describe how we intend to operate on a day-to-day basis as we pursue our vision and mission. Values are exhibited in behaviors and might include how we want to be treated, how we want to treat others, and lines that we will and will not cross. Examples of values and their expected behaviors. Love. We believe in demonstrating love in all that we do through respect and selflessness. Selfless leadership. We're givers. People who are too me-centered do not fit at rise. Excellence. We do great things with the gifts that have been given to us. Courage. It is not always comfortable being courageous, but it is vital to the success of rise. Integrity. Be honest in all things. Do what you say, even though it may cost you. Fun. By refusing to take ourselves too seriously, we are more energized and driven. What are your core values and their expected behaviors? Take some time to write these down, think about these, and how you're going to communicate them to your team, both now and in the future.